Well, lest we have a riot, by all means, all those children who are part of Children's Church, I think they're skedaddling out the front, back, every way, all right? I guess they know who they are. Hey, I think we need to check some IDs back there. I'm seeing some people that are going that are not in the Children's Church age group. (laughs) Sir, sit back down. Thank you very much. All right, and the rest of you, you're stuck. You have, you have to be here. Uh, hey, we're going to be in the book of Revelation this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 4. And we'll look in just a moment at a couple of important verses out of this passage. While you're turning and finding your place, let me just say how good it is for us, our family, my family, to be able to be here with you all at Valley Baptist. And we are certainly anticipating a special week with with you all. Um, thank you for being here this morning. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I do trust, sincerely, um, I, I pray and I trust this morning's service and the singing and every part of it, the fellowship together, um, the lack of a purple fox running through, all of those things, including the preaching, will all be a, an encouragement and a help to you this morning. But let me just real, real quickly, if I may, Let me just take a minute and invite you to participate in this week in a way that perhaps you normally do not. I don't know what your normal habit is as far as attending services outside of Sunday morning. Pastor hasn't said anything to me about who comes back normally on Sunday night and who doesn't. I don't know. So I don't know what your normal habit is. But let me me just at least tell you the purpose for this week and then make an appeal to you about regardless of what your normal habits are, to make this week a special week and to be involved in every part that you possibly can. This week has been set aside um, by the design of God and the prayer of Pastor and myself regarding our coming together uh, on a uh, abnormal number of times. So normally you meet Sunday morning like we are this morning, and typically the church meets on Sunday night. And then, again, on Wednesday night, there are services and kids' meetings and different things that are going on. However, this week is special. Of course, you're here this morning already. Tonight, Pastor already said 6 o'clock, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night at 7 o'clock. But this is not, this is not for the reason of um, habit. In other words, the church may regularly have revival meetings, but that is not the reason why to have revival meetings. It may be what happens, but it's not the reason why. It is not just because we think you have nothing else going on in your life and you need something else to do in the evenings, so why not gather together in the evenings? Now, you may have nothing else going on in your life, but if if that's the case, then you are one out of the rest of us who have a lot of other things that could be going on in the week. And I, I get that. Pastor knows that. We know that. I considered... Uh, I, when we first started traveling, I used to joke about writing cities ahead of time and asking them to shut down everything. Walmart will be closed this week, and uh, everything else will be closed in the area. Your job has shut down. Nothing else going on, so let's gather together. But obviously, that's not the case. You have work. You have school. You have responsibilities. Some of you guys who are in school, you have projects that are coming to do because of the time of year it is. I know that's the case. You have reports that are due. You who are in work, this is a time to... Um, to push. The, weather's, the weather is nice now, and so there's responsibilities. If you're a builder, then there, you can do more now than you used to be able to, and certainly later in the evenings with the time change, you can go longer. I, I understand all of that, and this is not 
Please understand my heart about this. This is not me thinking that I'm the most important thing here and you ought to put everything else. That's not it at all. This week has been designed for us to be able to come together on a regular basis for the purpose of our getting refocused on things um, that hold more value and priority. Do you understand what I mean by that? You do know, don't you, that you were created in eternal being. That is, that you're going to live forever. There's a soul to you that's going to live on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that this life that we enjoy right now, the physical part of it, is only a portion of what you actually are. And so this week is a time when we gather together and refocus our attention on that which matters for eternity. And it's so easy to get distracted by so many other things that a week like this is just super beneficial. Now, we call it a revival week. More accurate, it's, it's meetings where we seek God regarding revival. Revival, getting back to what God has for us. We may talk about that more this evening. But I just want to explain to you that, that, that the reason for this week really does have purpose, and it's not just... Uh, if I use the word arbitrary, you know what I mean? It's, just not, it's not just something we threw together and because this is what we've done for hundreds of years, so let's continue to do it. It's not the purpose. So I don't know what your normal habit is. It may be that you normally just come on Sunday morning, and there may be a reason for it. But whatever your normal habit is, may I invite you this week to, to come to every service that you possibly can. Tonight at 6 o'clock, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights come at 7 o'clock. And it's possible that some of you have responsibilities that you can't. Um, This is not a trick question. I don't work that way. Um, But how many of you, your job, you have responsibilities, work responsibilities, so that you can't be at the evening services during the week because you work during the time. It's very possible. You work during the times of the services. Is that that true? Okay. I see several hands. And that's, hey, that's understandable. Um, Just quit. (laughs) Or I can call and try and get you fired if that's better. I can work it however you want me. No. Um, I'm I'm teasing about that, of course, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, in a humorous way, emphasize the value and importance of this week. This week, I, uh, just this morning, when I was just looking around and observing and asking the Lord for wisdom about what to preach and the direction that he have us go for this week, I thought to myself, you know what, there are probably a number of people in here who are going through some hurts right now, and they need help, or they have questions. There may be some people, young or older, who are dealing with doubts or concerns about things that are valuable, things that are important, or you have stuff in your life that hurts right now. And I'm certainly not claiming to be wise enough to be able to answer all the questions. I mean this, but I know a God who is. And he's given us his word, and with everything that's in me, I'm going to preach to you what God's word has to say. And I would certainly, I would certainly think it would be beneficial to you to, uh, to come to every service that you possibly can. Now, I do need your prayers this week. If you'd ask God to speak to me so that I know what to speak to you, I would greatly appreciate it. And then I would encourage you to invite other people to come. You probably know people who need help from God's word. Uh, Maybe they're not saved or maybe they're saved, but they have questions or they're struggling. I'm certain that there's young people here. You You have teenagers. You have friends at school who are questioning life, who are questioning purpose, 
who are questioning, is there really a God? Is there really a designer? What is, what is this all about? Well, let me, let me encourage you to invite them to come this week. And if there's somebody that comes that has questions, don't think, well, I don't want to come them. I don't want to bring them. They might ask questions. Hey, questions are not a problem. In fact, if you have questions, it's not a problem. Part of the reason why we're here is to be able to ask questions and get answers and find out what the truth is, and then we follow the truth. So, so uh, don't, be, don't be scared about questions, and certainly don't be afraid to bring people who have questions. Now, in the time that we have this morning together, we're going to look at an important passage here in Revelation chapter number 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10, and we're going to read verses 10 and 11 together. Uh, would it be all right, uh, is this microphone on as well? Could we turn that one off and just go straight to this one? It just throws my, I'm easily distracted. If you were in Sunday school this morning, I told you about one of my children, uh, he's gone, Samuel, my second, who uh, is easily distracted, and um, someone after the, the Sunday school said, you said he took after your wife, but we're pretty certain he takes after you. And uh, so the secret's out already, and that is true. I'm just so easily distracted. So everybody said, very, very, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but we are going to look at an important passage here in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Basically, um, the book of Revelation is given to us to, to show us things that are going on in the future, specifically in chapter 4. This is a scene that unfolds in heaven. Now, time out real quickly. Anytime we read the scriptures, if you're reading a passage that is a story passage, it's a narrative, then it is best for you to put yourself in the situation, to be able to see the things that are around you, to hear the sounds, to smell the smells, and to be aware. What it does is it just makes it come to life, as opposed to me just reading it and you going, oh yeah, that's, that's black words on a white, pa- on white paper. It, it, it's not that. When you put yourself in the situation, then it allows everything to come to life in a way that it would not otherwise. So let me set up the scene before I read these two verses for you. The scene takes place in heaven. Now, I don't know exactly what it looks like. I'm going to tell you what it looks like in my brain. It comes from what the Bible says. I don't know exactly what it looks like. In my mind, basically what this is, is there are a sea, an innumerable group of people who have gathered together. These would be those who have trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And they are God's children, they're in heaven, and we're all together, and we're all facing one direction, and we're looking towards a throne. You know, the Bible doesn't say, but in my mind, I see a series of steps made out of marble that lead up to a large platform, and on the platform is a throne. Seated on the throne is God himself. Now, normally in a group of people like this, if there's a bunch of us, there, there's a movement, there's whispering, there's elbowing, there's pointing, there's things that are going on. But in this scene, none of that is happening. Every eye is fastened on what is taking place up on the throne. And as you and I are viewing the throne, what we see is God seated on the throne. There are, the Bible says, beasts that are flying around the throne, who are declaring, are crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of His glory. And then, in seats around the throne, there are 24 elders, the Bible calls them. I don't know exactly who these men are. I think they represent the saved of the earth. Bible scholars disagree. I'm not certain. But these 24 elders are seated in a circle around the throne. 
And that's the picture. I want you to see it as we read together Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read out loud. You follow along silently, please. Verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, I'd like to read the passage one more time, and I want to invite you again to dust off the imagination that perhaps hasn't been used for a while. And put yourself in the sea of people. And fasten your eyes on the scene. The throne, the beasts, the 24 men as they're seated around the throne. And watch what takes place in your mind. As the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the next several minutes that we have together, Help me, please, to be able to convey what your word says and the intent of why you said it. I pray that you'd help every person here to have ears open, hearts alert. If there are some who are struggling with being tired, who are struggling with other, uh, other items in their life that are pressing against their minds, God, I pray that you'd help them to have the character and desire to press those things away and to do their very best to focus in on what it is that you have for them this morning. I need your help. Father, all is vain unless your spirit moves, and we're dependent upon that, and I ask for it, please, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The scene is significant. A throne, beasts, 24 elders, a sea of people, and what unfolds is these 24 elders come from their seats and they fall down before him that liveth forever and ever, takes the crowns off of their heads and cast it before their feet. So that when you watch that happen in your mind, you can't help but consider the majesty and greatness of God. But the significance of what takes place in this scene is not so much just what a person sees when you watch it take place, but rather the things that are also said when it takes place. Now, I don't know if you have ever been involved in any kind of event where someone of great importance is speaking before. I'm thinking like a political event um, where, uh, where the vice president or president of the United States is going to speak. But if there is anybody of any clout that's going to do any speaking, then almost always there is a little bit of to-do done about the introducing of that person. Now, Brittany and I travel all over the place. Our family, we're on the road all the time. I'm preaching in churches where I've never preached before and where people don't know me. And so often, as Pastor did this morning, he will take time to introduce us. But the reason why he's introducing us is because you don't know who we are. But in the case of those who are nationally known, the reason for the introduction is not so much about you don't know who they are as it is uh, more about a, a sign of honor or respect. Uh, if you're a sports fan, think of this in the sports world. When I was growing up in the 80s, um, the team in the NBA to beat 
was the Chicago Bulls. And the reason why everybody wanted to beat the Chicago Bulls was because the Chicago Bulls had the best player in the NBA. Just out of curiosity, any of you remember who the best player in the NBA back in the 80s was? Okay, it was, it was Michael Jordan. Kids, Michael Jordan was a great player back in the 1980s. All right. I never attended a game, and I'm from Michigan originally, so I cannot like the Chicago Bulls, and I cannot like Michael Jordan as a basketball player. It's just, it's just, it's not allowed. I would be cut off from my family, from my state, and uh, there may be an execution from the Michigan militia. I'm not certain. So, so I can't like, I can't like the Chicago Bulls, but Michael Jordan was undoubtedly like, like the, the player. And people would crowd into the arena to watch him play. It's the reason why they came to game. So, I never went to a game personally, but I would watch on occasionally on television. And basically, before the game started, somebody with the most amazing voice in the world would get on the microphone and say something like, ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you your Chicago Bulls? And everyone would clap and cheer. And then the lights would go out. And then the guy with the voice would say, now let me introduce the starting lineup for the Chicago Bulls. And he would go through the different people. All right. Now, when he got to Michael Jordan, it was incredible what would take place. Strobe lights would start going everywhere. I mean, it was the 80s after all. Strobe lights would be going everywhere. And then this guy would say, and starting at guard, six feet, six inches tall, out of North Carolina, number 23. Michael Jordan. And you assumed he said, or done, but you never knew because people came unglued. They were jumping out of their seats and popcorn and Coke flying everywhere. Jordan jerseys being swung around and everybody yelling and screaming. Okay, 20,000 people in the arena. Nobody, 20,000 people. Nobody went, oh, that's Michael Jordan. I wondered who that guy was down there sticking out his tongue and jumping from the free throw line. That's who the guy, nobody did that. The announcement was not because you don't know who Michael Jordan is. Let me introduce him to you. The announcement was more like, okay, because of who he is, let me introduce him to you. Because of how good of a player he is, because of how respected he is in the basketball world, let's take time and introduce the starting lineup, but especially Michael Jordan. Okay. Now this morning, in a much more significant way, not because you don't know who he is, but out of respect for who he is, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present to you God. Well, you say, but Brother Tim, we already know who God is. Well, we know a little bit about him. That is true. But this is not a matter of, you don't know who he is, let me introduce him to you. Now, there may be some who know more than others and some who know less than others. But the fact of the matter is, is just out of respect for who he is, it bears us well. It is good for us to take a few moments and just stop and remember and consider who it is that our God is. And that is what this passage does in an incredible way. When the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and they cast their crowns at his feet, and they worship him that liveth forever and ever, they make a statement that grabbed my attention several years ago, 
and uh, made me stop and consider something. They make this statement. They say, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, when these 24 elders make this statement, they say a mouthful. When they say, thou art worthy, O Lord, what they're saying in essence is, it fits. It makes sense. It's right that we would give to you honor and glory and power. You created everything. You did it for your own pleasure. In other words, you're God. You're the one who gave life to everything that has life. You gave existence to everything that has existence. And furthermore, you did it for your own pleasure, meaning you did it because you wanted to. Nobody forced your hand into this. This was your design and your desire, and you created all things. You are God. But the phrase that caught my attention especially is when they make the statement, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And here's why it grabbed my attention. It grabbed my attention because it's occurred to me, and maybe it will to you by the end of the time together as well. It has occurred to me that I have become very um, man-centered in the way that I think about life and the way that I even think about God. In other words... um, I think of everything that happens in the world as to how it relates to me. The weather, how it delights me. Food, how it fills me. Friends, how they make me feel. And it doesn't change when we get into God. For instance, for instance, when we talk about God, we talk about the goodness of God and how much he's blessed us. Well, let me ask you a question. Has God blessed us, yes or no? Certainly. God is so good to us, and I am so grateful that God loves us and cares for us and does all of these things for us. But it occurred to me how man-centered that thought process is. In other words, I think of God as good because of how I have been treated by him. And here's what Revelation 4 verse 11 teaches us. Revelation 4.11 teaches us that God is worthy of glory and honor and power, not based upon what he has done for us, but simply based upon the fact that he is God. Let let me see if I can illustrate this quickly for you. Um, As a preacher, my responsibility from God to you is that I am supposed to preach whatever God's word says. In other words, I'm supposed to tell you what God has to say. Are you with me thus far? Okay, so that when I look in the Bible and I see where where God says, don't do such and such, it's bad, I'm supposed to say, hey, God says don't do this, it's bad. And if God says, hey, you need to do this, it's good, I'm supposed to tell you, hey, you're supposed to do this, God says it's good. Now, now hear me kindly, I don't mean this in a snarky manner. I don't don't mean this... um, in a condescending way at all. I'm supposed to preach to you what God says without regard for how you might think of it. Now, I don't mean that I preach it in a way that's mean-spirited, certainly not. But I mean that I'm supposed to tell you what God says, and I'm not supposed to think, oh, I don't want to tell him that because he might not like it. Or I don't want to tell her that because she might, I'm not supposed to do that. My responsibility is to stand and tell you what God says, regardless of how it is that you may take it. Are you with me thus far? All right. So let me tell you my fault. Well, one of many. Let me tell you a fault of mine. 
whenever I am studying the Bible to find out what God wants me to tell you, here's what I do. I'll see in the scriptures where God says, hey, don't do this. Hey, do this. And I think, ah, I need to tell people this is what the Bible says. But then almost without, without exception, I will almost always try to look around the passage or think through how obeying what God has said not to do or to do is going to benefit you. In other words, I feel like if I'm going to preach this to you, I need to make sure that I explain to you how much better your life will be if you obey what God says, or how much worse your life will be if you disobey what God says not to do. And like, if I'm going, uh, if I'm going to tell you God says don't do something, or you need to do something, then I need to also, uh, uh, can I use the word, entice you to it by explaining to you how it benefits you, why it's better for you to listen to God. Um, do you guys know what Hostess Twinkies are? Okay. I think it's like the sixth food group or something. I, I haven't eaten one in forever and ever. But um, I, this, is, this is silly, and I know it, all right? So I admit right up front. But sometimes as a preacher, I feel a little bit like I'm holding a Hostess Twinkie in front of the group that I'm preaching to you. And I'm saying, hey, do you see this? This is the blessing of God. And this, oh, God's blessings. Oh, they smell so good. Oh, they taste so good. I've had the blessings of God, and boy, are they good. Let me tell you something. You want the blessings of God. You do. You want this. I mean, this is better. This is better than anything you can get anywhere else. The blessings of God are so much better, and this is what you want. Now, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Hey. If you want the blessings of God, let me tell you what. You can have it. It's good. But if you want the blessings of God, then when God says to do something, then you do it. And when you do what God says, do you know what you get? And if God says don't do something, if you do it, do you know what you don't get? Now, do you want the blessings of God? Yes, you do. Okay, all you have to do is obey God, and this is what you get. Are you ready? Are you ready? (gasps) Go serve God! Go serve God! And you can have the blessings. All right. Now, admittedly, it's silly. But sometimes, as a preacher, that's kind of how I feel. Like, okay, if I'm going to tell people don't or do, then I need to explain to them how it is that this benefits their life if they do it. Okay, listen. The statement made by the 24 elders in Revelation chapter number 4, verse 11, that thou art worthy, O Lord, kicks that absolutely in the teeth in the sense that it's declaring that God's worthiness of your living for him, of your worshiping him, of your giving him glory and honor and power, that that is not based upon the blessings that you receive from God. That is based totally upon the fact that he is God. Well, you say, but Brother Tim, doesn't God give blessings to people who live in obedience? Well, class, let me ask you. Does God give blessings to those who live in obedience to his way and word? Yes or no? Okay. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things should be added unto you. Joseph, it was said about rather Moses that he chose to suffer the affliction of God's people because he determined 
that the worst, in essence, that God had to offer was better than the best that the world had to offer. And that is certainly true. So it's not as if we should live surprised by God blessing our obedience. That is certainly true. But here's the deal. It's a matter of what is our, what is our determining factor. What is it that makes us follow God? Is it a matter of, well, I'll get blessings if I do, or uh, I won't get blessings if I don't. So I need to make sure I follow God so I can get blessings. Okay, listen. If you live that way, then the struggle becomes so real in your heart the moment, please hear this, the moment that following God is going to cost you something, the moment that doing what's right costs you something, and you think to yourself, well, what it costs me doesn't match up to the benefit I get if I obey then the moment you think that what it costs you doesn't match up to what, you, what benefit you get if you obey, then the temptation for you to leave off in that area of following God becomes, becomes huge. Whereas, if you say in your heart, if you make the determination that by God's grace, I am going to obey, I'm going to give God glory and honor and power, my life, my praise, everything that's in me will be given to God based upon the fact that He is God. Well then, friends, that doesn't change regardless of what I receive from the Lord. If I receive good from the hand of God or evil, He's still God. If I am sick, He is God. If I am healthy, He is God and worthy. If I am doing well, He is worthy. If I am doing poorly, He is worthy. If I am rich, He is worthy. If I am destitute, He is worthy. His worthiness does not change when I live my life based upon the fact that He is God. Can you see the difference in the mindset? Okay, now let me give you a real couple practical ways that this plays out and, uh, and our, our time will be finished. I'll, I'll just say a couple more statements and, and our time is finished. Almost every week, we're in revival meetings at a different church and almost every Sunday when I get up to preach, I do exactly what I did this morning. Hey, I'm looking forward to the week and I mean it. And I want you to come to the services. Hey, Please, make these, make these services a priority. This is important. It will benefit you. It will be good for the church. It will be good for you. Please come, please come, please come, please come. And I invite people and plead with people about coming to the services because I think it will benefit them to hear the scriptures and it will benefit the body of Christ and it will benefit eternity. It will be, it'll be good. Okay. There's a little part of me thinks to myself, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if we all just gave God what he was worthy of, regardless of how well we thought it might benefit us or not. Now, please, this is not, this is not a backhanded twisting arms, because I don't know anybody's situation. So please don't take it as that. But sincerely, think through this. Would I have to stand up here and go, hey, it'll be good for you. Please come, please come, please come, please come. If we all said, you know what? I'm going to give God what he's worthy of because he's God. Or would it be, you know what? If this is what God wants me to do, it matters not, it matters not 
what difficulty I'm, I'm going to do. Well, you say, Brother Tim, are you saying that God wants all of us to be back here tonight? No, I'm not. Or God wants us to be at every service. Nope, I can't say that. I wish I could, but I, but I can't. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say it. It does talk about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but that's not, that's not talking about missing a service. It's, that's something, something different. But here's, here's what I would say. Why don't you ask God? Well, Brother Tim, to be perfectly honest, you're not that good of a speaker. <laughs> well, two things. One, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> you think I don't know this already? Or you think my wife tells me after every service? No, I'm just kidding. She does, she does not. But do you, see, do, you, do you see how quickly we go, does it give me enough so that it's worth the sacrifice of sitting through 30 minutes of hearing him? Is there enough, is there enough benefit? Do, do you see how quickly we become man-centered? Now, I am convinced that if you'll come and hear the scriptures and respond that God will speak to your heart, your life, your life will be better. I am convinced that they that seek first the kingdom of God will have the things added to them that they need. I am convinced that if you put God first, he will take care of you. I am convinced that if you humble yourself in the Lord and the sight of the Lord, that he'll lift you up. I am convinced that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I am convinced of all of that. But friends, when it comes to what we do, that should not be the base motivation. It should all start with Thou art worthy, O Lord. And His worthiness is not based upon what I receive. His worthiness is based upon the fact that He is God. And that will never change. He has always been. He will always be. He is worthy. The true question is, do you see him as worthy? Is that what becomes the motivation of your life? See the difference? Man, how I treat my spouse is adjusted by the fact that he's worthy. Because if I treat my spouse based upon what, what I can get back, then it's me-centered. But if I go, God, you know what? You told me how to treat my spouse, and you're worthy of me obeying you in this. It changes everything. Is it worth it for me to take a stand at my school about Christ? Is it worth it for me to undeniably be a believer, to bow my head and thank God for the food when I sit with my friends? Is it worth it? Is there enough, is there enough benefit so that that risk? No, no, that's not the question. The question is, is he worthy? You know, if I were to, as we started the service, if I were to stand up here and say, all right, everybody turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, and you all did. And while I began to speak and to give you my commercial about um, coming to the services, if all of a sudden the back doors swung open and in walked an entourage of people, and one of those people came up and pushed me out of the way, stood in a dark suit and stood up here and said, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to present to you the President of the United States of America. 
Now, regardless of what you think about his policies, his positions, or his person, out of respect for the position that he holds, I would, and I think you would join me, I would stand and I would clap. He's the President of the United States of America. How much greater should our response be when someone of no consequence stands and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you God. It may not cause us to stand and clap, but don't you think, friends, that it ought to cause us to bow our hearts, our heads, perhaps even our knee, and declare with 24 elders, thou art worthy, O Lord. And he is. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live in the fact that thou art worthy. Teach us, O God, teach us to realize the greatness that is you that you are the maker of all things, that, you are, that our lives exist, we exist because of you. Um, Father, I pray that that would be impressed in our hearts. I pray for every person here that they, would, that they would face the truth of what is delivered to us here in the statement of these 24 elders as they declare your worthiness. And God, I pray that you'd help each person to make the decision, make the choice this morning to live their life based upon the fact that you are worthy. Not so much just because of what we can get or the blessings we receive, but you're worthy because you are God. And regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the struggles, regardless of what we think is the benefit, help us to see um, you're worthy just because of who you are. I ask it, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, folks, just before we, before I turn the service over to Pastor and he closes it, let me just ask a question. I wonder how many this morning would say, Brother Tim, I see this morning that I have been living my life um, me-centered, man-centered, based upon, based upon the benefit I get, I make my decision. If God's blessing is good enough, that's what I do. If I don't view it as good enough, then I'm tempted towards another way. But this morning I see that I need to live my life based upon the fact that he is worthy and that that needs to be the base motivation for my life. And you'd say, I need this renovation. I need this change of mind, this change of heart. And that's where I want to live. I can't say it's where I'm living, but it's where I want to live. And you'd say by an upraised hand, Brother Tim, please pray with me and for me that that would become the motivation of my heart. If that's true for you this morning, what, would you just slip up your hand and let me pray with you about it? Lieutenant, that's where I want to be. It may not be where I am, but it's where I want to be. Okay, a number of hands. God bless you. Now, let me ask one other question. I have not preached this morning specifically about how a person can know the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life, have forgiveness of sins. We will this week, but I have not this morning. But if you're here this morning and you don't know that, that Christ is your Savior, if you don't know God is your Father, if you don't know that your sins are forgiven, but you would like to know more about that, I'll not embarrass you, 
or call you up or anything like that. But may I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand if that's true for you? If you'd say, I don't, Tim, I don't know for certain that I've trusted Christ. I don't know for certain that I'm on my way to heaven. I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven, but I'd like to know that God has forgiven my sins and that I belong to him. And you'd say, please pray for me. Anybody like that, would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I'll wait just for a moment. Okay. Everybody look up this way, would you please? Thank you for your kind attention this morning. What I'd like to do is just give us an opportunity to talk to the Lord in regards to what he's dealt in our hearts about. There were a number of hands. People have said, ah, I want to live my life based upon the fact that God is worthy. And I'd like, I think it'd be important for us to take a moment and bow our hearts, our heads, and if you're physically able, your knee before the Lord. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to pray for these that have raised their hand. When I'm finished, and we'll just have a couple of stanzas on, on the piano for invitation hymn. We won't sing. You won't need your songbook, anything like that. But, but this, the piano will be played. And during that time, if God's spoken to your heart, I'd like to invite you just to, just to do what the 24 elders did. Worship him and declare, God, in my life, you are worthy. If you're physically able, I think it'd be beneficial if you could turn a knee where you are and bow your knee before him. If you can't physically, then hey, your heart, bow before the Lord and talk to him. Can we do that? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, hear the prayers, please, of your children as they come before you. Those who declare your worthiness, who accept it and, and um, are wanting to live according to it, I pray that you'd please answer their requests speedily. For those, Father, who, have, who perhaps this did not quite click for them, or they don't see it, or they're refusing it, I pray that you'd help them to see who you are and how worthy you are. I'm looking forward to this day to watch these 24 elders and um, with them now, my heart, my head, um, God, I gladly bow my knee before you. You are my God and you are worthy and that's how I want to live my life. And I ask now, Lord, your help in their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the pianist begins to play, God dealt in your heart, man, but you're just where you are. Turn and kneel talk to the Lord, won't you please? Let's all stand, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, may the Holy Spirit enable every one of us to allow that 
challenge, that truth to grip our hearts and lives. What a difference in every area, in every area of our life it would make. Is that not true? To just truly put him first place, to please the Lord, for he certainly is worthy. Father, we thank you again for the challenge from your word. Lord, we do commit this week to you, and God, may each one of us simply say, Lord, what is your will for my life this day, tonight? Uh, and may we all be sensitive to the lead of the Holy Spirit. And may, oh God, your will be done. For you are worthy. May your will be done in each of our lives this week. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.